Hey there. Welcome to the show. So, a lot going on in the news, obviously. You know, lots of things going on here in Canada and around the world. And, you know, we definitely, uh, our thoughts and prayers are going around with everybody. Obviously, we want, everybody wants peace and happiness. And I hope that, uh, you know, finally the world can balance. There's so much going on. But, you know, the one thing that I think that is starting to balance a little is the world of real estate. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about. And, you know, not a whole lot of political stuff other than I don't think politicians should promise you building too many homes. And uh, before I go down my usual rant this week, I do want to let you know of a special opportunity that we have here. It is a final release of three-bedroom townhomes and located in North Bay. And they're only 229900 for a, uh, a investment property. Incredible opportunity uh, in just absolutely spectacular location. And you make sure we make sure that you get rent every single month. No repairs, no tenant interaction. You know, it's uh, just a complete hands-off approach. If you want to buy investment real estate, I don't think I've ever been able to offer something like this before. And so we've only got, uh, this is our final release uh, of this development. And the opportunity is here. It's now. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com if you would like to own your own three-bedroom investment uh, real estate uh, townhome. So anyways, um, as, I, uh, as I do every single month, just so you know, I have uh, a section we call the Real Estate Talk Triangle, and my panelists joining me, Tim Sirianos. He is broker-owner of REMAX Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, currently a director at the Canadian Real Estate Association, and Dave Butler from BM Select. And so they'll be joining me in a little while, and we've got lots to talk about this week. And, you know, recap from this past month, what does February look like as it goes into the history books? Is it as crazy as January, or, you know, are we seeing a bit of a shift? So I do want to talk about the market. I do want to talk about a couple of things that are going to be important to everybody um, obviously, what we're seeing in the, the world of real estate, you know, I wish um, I wish most people, you know, kind of got the grasp of what is happening in the market. It's a tough one because there's really just two complete two sides to this coin. You're either on one side or the other. It's hard to be in the middle of this. I was on earlier with uh, Jerry Agar, and uh, always great. I love uh, chatting with Jerry because he's just you know to the point. And a big part of our conversation always evolves around you know rules, regulations, what is happening, you know, can we give people, you know, more visibility during an offer process? And a lot of times, you know, I think a lot of the blame gets put on realtors and that's a tough one because, you know, realtors follow rules and then they also have a duty to their clients. And who is the client of of a realtor? Well, if they're representing a buyer, then they owe the fiduciary duty to the buyer. And if you are a seller, then guess what? They're working for you and they've got to do the best that they can for you. So this is where this constant push and pull comes from real estate transactions. And, you know, I would love for somebody to actually come up with a sensical, you know, way of doing this. But the way we've been doing it, you know, for the last, let's say, century is the fact that the, the seller has a right and they always will have the right because it's their property they have a right to turn around and ask whatever they want for their property. There is no rules there. And when they engage in a real estate transaction and they've hired a, hired a realtor, normally the question will be asked by most sellers, how do I get the most money for my property? Now, 
if a realtor's been doing it long enough and they've experienced you know multiple offers enough times, they're going to always encourage a seller to be able to turn around and create some kind of asking price or some kind of unique idea that is going to encourage multiple people to turn around and want to buy their property. So unless you've got something so unique and there's no home like yours in the market, then what's going to happen, it's going to be driven by price. And price is the thing that people have to realize is not an absolute. In other words, when somebody puts a price on a house, it's their first attempt at something. So if the property is truly worth 1.8 million and they put 1.5, you all aren't smart enough and you should know enough of the sales in the area to know it's not gonna sell for 1.5. So what are they doing? You know, what are they trying to achieve? In the listing, if it says no offers will be reviewed until a certain date, guess what? You know that they're baiting you to have multiple offers. It's in their right to do so. There's no governing body that can turn around and say, you are not allowed to create a multiple offer situation. So unless the government steps in and steps on everybody's toes and says, it's an absolute, you are not allowed to have multiple offers. It's the first offer in must be the one you entertain then this process will continue. Now, the idea that people keep throwing around, and I know I've been beating this horse for a little while, but the discussion around the, you know, the, the, the campfire is that we should go to the auction process. But just so you know, the auction process doesn't make it any better for a buyer. Sure, you'll know what the guy is next to you, what he's bidding, but you're not going to do a better purchase price. <clears throat> and this is the problem. Most people are not aware that in an auction process, you can actually see the person side by side. You can do it by Zoom or you can do it in person. And there's this competitive nature that comes flying out. And, you know, you've got, let's say, your spouse beside you saying, you know, no, we, we, we need that house. Don't let them get it. It's our house. You know, you know they've already, you know, it's amazing because so many people, when they find a house that they truly like, do you know they've already put their furniture in? They've already seen their kids growing up. They see the graduation. I mean, this is the idea of owning a home. You know, everybody's dreams can come true in this home. This is what everybody imagines. So it's really hard to fight that driving desire to turn around and win the house because they almost feel like something's been taken away from them when they lose. So who's to blame for the runaway real estate market? Is there somebody we can blame? Is there an institution you can blame? Not really. You know, truth be told, if we take a look at the big picture, you know, there's a bunch of underlying factors that have driven the marketplace where it is today. And, you know, yes, I talk about inventory all the time, but that's not the only thing that's created the problem. You know, believe it or not, COVID did. COVID created the last couple of years and COVID created a huge, huge need for people to actually expand a little. So in other words, you know, that 600 square foot condo just didn't cut it if you have to work from home. So they'd really love that extra bedroom or perhaps a den, or for that matter, since they're not using the gym as much downstairs because that what got limited, maybe they want to get a backyard. The idea of sitting on the back deck, you know, yeah, you're restricted to your, your, your movements. You can't do a whole lot. So why not have a backyard? Then comes down the fact that with the bigger houses, why not have a pool? You're not going on vacation, can't travel as easily. So why not have a pool? So you see what started happening? You know, and it was about this time two years ago that the world completely changed where we recognize the value of a home. 
Now, you know, we can sit there and, and discuss COVID and, and understand why, you know, everybody now sees the value of owning a home. But we can also realize that people that are renting, they don't want to move. You know, they don't want to have to up and go to another property. They don't want to have to engage with movers. So a lot of people are sitting there and they're not moving out of a rental property. So there's the rental part of it taken care of. Now, what else added to the last two years of this massive increase in value? Well, how about the Bank of Canada? You know what? They thought they were saving the economy, and they did in many, many ways. Now, unfortunately, there are industries that absolutely did not make it through. They took an absolute beating. So those ones, you know, unfortunately, you know, they're going to struggle for years to come. But there's also part of the industry that turned around and realized that, you know, with low interest rates, it's a great opportunity to get into the marketplace or, for that matter, expand. And then there's got to be the employment aspect of it. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we had to work from home. A lot of the employers were able to pivot very quickly. Real estate, by the way, is one of the one of the industries that pivoted the quickest, I think. But when they all started to pivot and everybody was working from home, everybody started using, you know, Teams, Zoom, all sorts of meetings. You know, it, it's funny because it's the first time I ever used Zoom was, you know, when this happened. I'd never used it before. I'd never thought about using it. I always met with people. You know, we would do seminars and people would come in, I'd get to shake their hand, I could walk through the crowd, you know, I have a hundred people sitting there and it was really enjoyable because I got to meet everybody, I could see their facial expressions. So then the next time I wanted to do a seminar, I had to call it a webinar and I was standing in front of a bunch of cameras and all of a sudden now everything is, you know, done remotely and, you know, people could sit at home and watch the, watch the uh, webinar. They didn't have to get out of their, you know, out of their pajamas or for that matter, leave the couch. So the world did change. And then with the interest rates as low as it was, because again, they're trying to save the economy, it gave everybody an opportunity to come in. So where do we stand today? You know what? Interest rates are going to have some upward pressure. You know, with any luck, we'll start seeing more openings, but they'll stay that way. You know, the whole seesaw battle of these openings, you know, there's industries that just aren't going to be able to take another closing. And I know, I know most of you don't want to have that happen. So if we could leave it open, what's going to happen? You know, is the market going to stay as hot as it is? Will the increase in interest rates, because we've got some inflation, you know, government wants to control that. And then we've got more immigrants coming in. So with the fact that we've got more people coming in, we've got less inventory, maybe some upward turn on interest rates. Does this bode well for the market? Well, I can tell you that most of the experts, they're of two mindsets. Some are saying, yeah, the market's going to really soften up quickly. And then a lot of the experts are saying, nope, market's going to increase by 10%. We just don't have the inventory that we need for the buyers. So is there an answer to this equation or is this the new norm? If you're going to buy real estate, do you have to face multiple offers every time? Well, the one thing I'm going to advise you, when you're sticking your toe into the multiple offer process, you're going to lose most of the time, okay? Because once you've won, you're not going to do it again. But a lot of people lose, you know, 20 offers, one winner, 19 losers. That is what it is. We can't change that. So how do, how do we do everything? Well, my biggest thing that I'm going to advise you at this point is make sure you get proper pre-qualification. Make sure that you know that you may go past your price and have a backup for it. If you're going to buy anything, make sure you get at least a pre-inspection done of it. You know, never, never buy anything that you don't know what you're buying. And ultimately, in the end, the biggest thing that I can tell you is be patient. When you turn around and you get too emotional on it, this is where you may have some regret. You know, a lot of times people are having big regret. They said they should have bought a couple of years ago. Well, you know what? Two years from now, you're going to say, I should have bought two years ago. So this is the kind of thing you have to make a decision. That decision's up to you. 
Now, as I mentioned just before, uh, we've got our Real Estate Talk Triangle this week, and it is our monthly event. My panelists, Tim Sirianos and Dave Butler, will be with us shortly, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, it is time for the Real Estate Talk Triangle with my panelists that are joining me this year. We've got our returning panelist, Tim Sirianos. He's broker owner of REMAX Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, currently a director of the Canadian Real Estate Association. And just for edification, anything Tim says really doesn't have any reflection on Korea, but we just want to get Tim's opinion on what he thinks is going on in the world of real estate. And when it comes right down to mortgages, nobody better than our new panelist this year, Dave Butler from BM Select, broker owner there. And gentlemen, uh, welcome back. Last month was great. It was a good initial meeting. I can't wait to talk to you today about what's going on in real estate well i'm really happy to be back again todd thanks for the invite awesome todd always always a pleasure to be here so tim you know i do catch you just i i just need to throw it out there um you know you you're you're looking tanned uh did catch you doing a little bit of uh, a u.s jaunt um now being being the you know quintessential realtor that you are did you check out any real estate while you were down on your uh, your your hiatus Absolutely. That's something that's in my DNA. There's there's absolutely no chance that I can go anywhere. My wife actually gets a little bit upset with me. She says, can you ever turn it off? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just impossible. So I did talk to some realtors down there to discover, you know, just what's going on with the real estate market. And as it was, it was quite enlightening to find out that um, they're having uh, supply issues and uh, a lot of you know demand is very high there too. So we're talking about the Florida market, you know, the US market, correct Tim? That's absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. So you know, this is this is one of the things, and um, you know, we have to keep our mind, you know, our eye on the markets everywhere. And a lot of people keep thinking that we are in this bubble here in the GTA. That we, you know, obviously the world surrounds us here; it goes around us. But you know, there are marketplaces all over the world that are still having the same situation. There's countries, you know, there's states. There's all over, you know, the marketplace itself. The world, I think gentlemen has woken up to the importance of real estate dave you know you uh, you talk to obviously some people that do invest in other marketplaces is it a pretty good analogy to say that you know all markets are doing exceptionally well right now in the real estate world yeah you know covid obviously brought with it you know a lot of countries quickly re- you know decreasing their interest rates uh, making things obviously much more affordable for, for housing at the time. Um, and certainly that's that's happened worldwide. Um, ultimately, uh, what we're seeing, you know, here in Canada is obviously, you know, something different. But, you know, it's funny, I'm seeing a lot of these, you know, we're now, uh, you know, we're what, we're 25 years from around 1996, 97. And I've been seeing all these kind of 25 year charts that are going off and they're showing these crazy amounts of appreciation in Toronto and the rest of Canada. And, you know, it's a kind of funny because you really are just taking one part of a graph and a chart. Um, you can also look at uh, the peak of real estate in Toronto in 1990 and now go 31, 32 years and find that the increase is actually not as crazy. Um, so just obviously seeing a lot. But yeah, worldwide, they're definitely I think the low rates have certainly caused a situation that's not just exclusive to Canada. You know, uh, Tim, Dave makes a great point about the 25-year comparison. You know, there's a lot of them out there. And a lot of people continue to think that, you know, um, 
you know, we are at this, you know, this crucial spot that, you know, how does real estate go up any further? You know, 25 years ago, Tim, I know you were in the business. Uh, you know, people are saying, you know, basically market went up 453%. You know, it's more just rounding the number off. But <laughs> truth be told, if we take a look at it, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, are, are looking at it saying, yeah, but there was a lot of different financial situations if we go back to 1996. Well, yeah. I mean, I was, I've was i been in the market now since 1989. So this is my 33rd year in the business. And I've seen um, you know, the impact of the high interest rates and what happened uh, from 1989 to about 1995. And the market kind of woke up in 1996, even though people didn't know it, it was, it was actually um, getting quite active back then. Um, so there were you know, lack of you know, policies in place. There were people who were making investments um, you know, with less down payments, there were no stress tests, there was no policies that would protect the consumer from themselves. But what has happened since then is there's been a lot of government uh, policies that actually helped um, govern how people would buy real estate. So, I, I mean, the investment that happened from overseas and from other parts of the world, uh, that did happen in the mid 80s, uh, you know, going up to 1990. Um, but then everything seemed to have balanced out. Um, the market did double from 2000 to 2010. And then it doubled again from 2010 to 2020. But you know what I've said to you in the past, and I'm gonna you know say it again, is what we've had right now is completely different than then. We've never had a supply crunch the way we do today. And the supply crunch started in 2008 when the city of Toronto started introduced uh, introduced the actual double end transfer tax. That's when everything changed. This is a different type of market than we had from 1989 to 2008. You know, uh, Dave, Tim brings up a great point, but there is something that, you know, we can talk about when we look back 25 years, GTA population growing by 2 million people. You know, when you when you want to quantify that, that's got to be a lot of units being built. But Tim mentioned, you know, we do have a supply issue with that increase in population as we track numbers. You know, we are looking at increasing it even at a faster rate now moving forward. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that we have to be mindful of. Population also requires more more housing. Oh, my God. I mean, you look at the stats, you look at <clears throat> the future immigration numbers that are coming out. They're saying that uh, we would need to build in the GTA alone, I believe, 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years just to keep up with the, the new demand that will come in from immigration. That's not even solving the current supply demand issue that we are experiencing right now. So without a doubt, I mean, I think. That is a major, major factor. And I think that, you know, when we look at this, this is, to me, it's an economics 101 issue, you know, supply, demand, and price. Um, supply is, is we are not working at the level we should to have supply try to at least balance itself out. Um, we, everyone's focusing on demand, demand, demand. And we're, as, as Tim pointed out, you know, we are sitting currently in a situation where if you want to get a variable rate today at, let's say, 1.5%, you are qualifying at 5.25. That's the stress test. How hard do they want to make it for the average Canadian to buy a home? So instead of focusing on trying to curb the demand, why are we not focusing on the supply issue? It blows my mind. Well, you know what? I'm glad you brought it up, Dave, because here's a point, and, and you almost sounded like some of the politicians out there that we need over the next 10 years, 1.5 million properties built. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the political parties are promising to build it, but they can't build it. 
And, you know, one of the biggest issues is, is red tape. Tim, you and I talk about it all the time. You talk to new developers on a regular basis and, you know, they basically have to plan five, 10 years in advance before they can even think of something coming to the market. It takes an average of seven years, um, gentlemen, to have um, from the, the, the property actually going to committee, getting approved, to getting built, to having somebody move in. Seven years. That's a very long time. And if we continue on this path, um, it, it, you know, we're not going to solve the housing crisis. And it is a crisis when it comes to supply. And I just wanted to touch on one more thing that, you know, you were talking about the differences in different markets. We can't also, we cannot forget the liberal government back in the early 2000s that put in the green, that had the green belt, you know, plan put in, right? That actually restricted construction to only certain areas of the, of the actual GTA. So there's this, this has been a, a, uh, a process here. This has been like an avalanche, you know, really of what we've been, you know, experiencing. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the things, Tim, and, and I'm glad that, um, you know, you could tell our listeners about that because again, if you mention Greenbelt and anybody wants to change that regulation, immediately people get up in arms. And this is what we have been suffering through in Toronto. It's not my backyard. We can't affect this. So there are so many limitations put on developers today that it's getting harder and harder for us to bring more inventory to market. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to go to a quick break, but I've got a heck of a lot more to talk to you about uh, this hour because lots of stuff obviously in the news. And uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the Real Estate Talk Triangle here on Simply Real Estate. And my panelists joining me every single month, Tim Sirianos, broker owner of Remax Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And we've got Dave Butler, broker owner of BM Select. So when we come back, we're going to talk more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my panelists this hour, Dave Butler from BM Select, Tim Sirianos, broker owner of Remax Ultimate. And um, so this is the Real Estate Talk Triangle, folks, and you don't want to miss the first section that we just did. But uh, just before the break, guys, we were we were talking about, obviously, you know, the idea of how long things take to build some of the some of the I guess some of the issues that people are struggling, you know, some of these developers. Um, Tim, I do want to bring up something that uh, a letter that went out actually from the Residential Construction Council of Ontario, and they actually sent it to Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Christian Freeland. And it was the fact that they put and they shone a huge spotlight on the fact that we've got over 92,000 construction workers that will retire by 2030. And, you know, when you know we have uh, we have build on all the time as well and the biggest thing that we know is that we're struggling getting the trades in place and right now with immigration most people you know they want to have you know people that have different designations you know more educations uh, different certificates you know but should we not be trying to attract the trades into the building industry should we not kind of give people a little bit better green light so that we can get some of these builds done I absolutely. Uh, 25% of the population will be over 65 by 2030. And that lies completely in line with the people who are working in, in many sectors of our industry. But most importantly, you know, what we need right now is people in trades. I mean, this is a really big push. Um, I'm watching a lot of people not putting enough um, emphasis uh, to trades, but going into school and, and trying to go into computer sciences or, or, you know, as you said, different, different designations that do not involve construction. So, this is something that needs to be, you know, um, really 
have more focus on, continue to have focus on. Uh, we're seeing advertising um, in Greater Toronto from from different provinces asking for people with trades to come. You know, come uh, to our province, uh, have a better lifestyle. I mean, you know, we need trades. Uh, those ads are actually out there right now on billboards. I'm not sure if people have seen them, but they are out there. So yes, we definitely need to put more emphasis and focus on it, or we will have um, a tough employment market in about seven or eight years from now. You know, Dave, um, when we talk about immigration, you know, uh, you and I watch the numbers regularly, you know, 450,000 people are supposed to be allowed to immigrate this year, 400,000 last year, going up to 500,000 next year. You know, these, these, these are aggressive numbers. Should we not be sitting there mandating that, you know, some of the people that are immigrating should have the trades? I mean, it, it can't just be if somebody shows up on the doorstep with some money. I mean, that's not going to really, truly help the country you know, continue, continue to evolve? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, you look at the way that the system was set up in the last decade, and we really focused on skilled labor, um, you know, and ultimately, uh, I don't see Canada bringing in a lot of bricklayers, electricians, you know, and you have to have a homegrown base there. Um, and certainly I can say as someone in my early 40s, uh, you know, I, I noticed that my era of people, the trades was starting to dwindle. That was when, as you mentioned, computer sciences, programming, these things, you know, the tech world started to really take over. And I just don't think, unfortunately, that our government has been able to see the data. And the worst part about it is that in that po political game, in this type of game with the government, they are usually the last to see the trend and the last to act. <laughs> okay, Dave, so we have to put some pressure on it. Listen, I know you recently went through some renovations and, you know, this is this is getting harder and harder for people to do because as, as mentioning, you know, there's less and less contractors, but there's also a premium and not only for the actual labor itself, but material. And this is one of the things, we do have a supply shortage. You know, did you did you experience that going through, you know, your your renovation that you did? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, for those that keep an eye on lumber prices, I was framing uh, we were doing a we were finishing our basement and we were framing in May of last year. So if you actually go and look at the lumber prices in May of last year, I pretty much marked the top um, and we obviously seen them creeping up. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny when I look at, you know, and I've done many, many large renovations, additions to uh, properties in the past. Um, I can say that this one in particular, that's just finally getting done and it was working on, we were, we were framing in May. Um, this has cost me without a doubt. The, the, as far as square footage goes, it's, it's the largest that I've ever incurred in terms of pricing. Um, and that's had to do with exactly what you said, limited trades. Um, we are having to get people from Toronto to be able to come all the way out an hour and a half to Ancaster. I mean, this, this, is, this is not an easy market to play in with regards to renovations. And, and certainly we're seeing that on the back end of the real estate side, because, you know, as much as I'm doing a renovation for the home that I live in, we have lots of people that are doing renovations for properties that are doing burst strategies and they're, they're going to be doing flips. Um, so the cost going up there is obviously also a wildfire as we're throwing it into these high real estate prices. You know, Tim, Dave makes a great point about people that actually um, use, you know, the acquisition and then selling of real estate um, as flippers or for that matter, people that go in and do renovations and, you know, prices have gone up. A lot of people in the marketplace, Tim, I find are, you know, taking exception. They, call, they, they think flippers are the ones creating the problem here in our market and that they're the ones creating the shortage. You know, can you tell us, you know, with, with the group that you've got, you know, on the streets, can you tell us, is, is this really the problem? 
It is absolutely not the problem. It has not been the problem. Um, you know, putting a spotlight and, and trying to paintbrush the entire um, uh, industry that it's it, nothing but flippers and speculators uh, is, is the wrong approach to take. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's been people who've been doing this as a business for years and years, and, and we know many of them. And I do talk to a lot of our agents on a regular basis. Uh, I review a lot of transactions and I actually ask our agents who are buying, you know, these properties. I mean, people need to also realize that, you know, real estate brokerages, brokerages are involved with FinTrack. We have to make sure that things are being done properly um, to have anti-money laundering, you know, uh, processes in place. And um, a lot of the people who are buying uh, are actually uh, improving the properties. They're bringing them up to code and they're selling them as a much more greener, much more modern home as part of a business. That sector has always existed. Now we can't group those people in the same kind of breath as the people who are buying something just to speculate and flip. That number is not big. It's not what they think it is. And I did say last year that 2022 is the year at the end of the year, if you recall, Todd, I said 2022 is not the year that people should enter the market with the idea of buying to flip. And it's not happening right now. People, actually, a lot of builders are just trying to buy um, and to, to run their business the way they always have. And they're even priced out of the market. You know, interestingly enough, Tim, we did a bit of a dive on the numbers. And, you know, the boards were reporting that people that owned a titled property for less than a year was less than the 2% two, two of the real estate market, okay? So in other words, folks, to, to give you clarity on that, so somebody buys a house this year and they sell it within the same fiscal year, then that's only 2% of the market coming back. So 98% of the market that's being sold means that they own the property for more than a year. Um, you know, Tim, one of the things that people try to do, obviously, if you're gonna flip a house, you don't wanna be hanging on to it, making mortgage payments while it's vacant and then trying to flip it and sell it. So, you know, that number is not very high when we think about the grand scheme of things. That would be around two, th to give some perspective, that's around 2,400 homes based on last year's MLS sales. 2,400 homes. Of those homes, how many people are actually buying that home, as I said before, and they're improving it. They're actually bringing it back to market. It really is a small number, Todd. And we also have to consider that some people got in financial trouble during COVID. Perhaps they lost a job. So they ended up closing so they don't lose deposits, but then they sell it because they have to. So again, that number, I think, gets smaller and smaller. So I do struggle with the analogy of, of you know this situation. Dave, are you finding that people are saying, listen, I just need a six-month mortgage because I'm flipping the property? You know what? It's, it's funny. And working with investors for the last almost 20 years, I haven't noticed as much of an uptake as, as you guys have said. I don't, I don't find that... Uh, it's it's been a rapid increase. Certainly, when you have a market where you're getting those year-over-year -year gains as, as high as they are, you're always going to attract some extra what I call fast money. Um, you know, but that those are these are generally speculators, and we all know that that's not driving. Certainly, people that are doing burrs and people that are doing flips are not driving this market. That's for sure. And as Tim and you point out, very, very, very small percentage of the population um, in terms of with regards to real estate. And I think we even kind of hit it on the head on the last triangle that we did, which was we realized that the amount of investors buying properties in 2021 was only up an extra one or two percent from 2014 to 2020. And I think we identified that likely it was the people entering the fast money, the flippers, because they could see the 
year over year. You can't put interest rates at 1.5% and then start talking about 20% increases and not attract that fast money. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, folks, we're going to go to a quick break, but when I come back, I've got more with Tim Sirianos and Dave Butler. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So we're in the last leg of the Real Estate Talk Triangle with my panelists, Tim Sirianos, broker owner of REMAX Ultimate, former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, Dave Butler, broker owner of BM Select. Guys, just before the break, we were we were discussing the fact of, you know, the market itself. Tim, um, you know, out in the headlines, they actually said in Toronto, February market starts to loosen up. Um, is that just bravado or did you see it? Um, did you see it calm down a little? Actually, we're seeing an uptick of listings, which is which is properly sitting in the market, um, which is a great sign. There's more people looking at uh you know, what their plans are for the spring and moving forward. Um, we have seen some, you know, some consumers looking at the prices and looking at the activity and saying, okay, I don't want to participate in this right now. Um, you know, hitting a ceiling in pricing as well, which is also a good sign. Uh, you don't want to continue to see prices going up because if they go up too fast, we all know it's an unsustainable, you know, direction. So yes, um, we're seeing much more, you know, uh, a brisker kind of pace uh, without that, you know, red, red, red hot, you know, kind of, you know, action, you know, some markets, obviously the condo market, the townhouse market, the more, um, you know, the lower price points, we'll call them. I, I hate using the word affordable because affordable is tough. Um, but those price points are still seeing a lot more activity, um, but not the same way it was the, the way it was in January, which goes right. to show that with time, things do start to balance out. Yeah, and that's all we can hope for in a marketplace like this. But uh, Dave, more than 40% of young homeowners in Ontario got financial help from their parents. Uh, seems like a big number, but you know, you, can you tell us, Is are you seeing more and more of this? Yeah, I mean, we, we in our world, we call it the bank of mom and dad now. Um, it's actually got a term. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, it, but it kind of makes sense from a mathematical standpoint. You know, mom and dad are generally, you know, for the most part in these situations where they're going to be giving gifts to their uh, to a son or a daughter. Um, they've already accumulated quite a bit of equity in the last couple of years in their properties. So giving money to your child to help them buy a home um, is a lot easier. Um, there's a big talk about it. You know, that it's a big thing. But the reality is, is the mom and dad's house has appreciated, you know, a massive amount in the last five to 10 years. Um, then it's certainly a lot easier for them to be part of that and be able to help. Um, and I think that's where we're seeing a bit of a difference. And, you know, I think we're also noticing that, you know, as as Canadians, uh, as hardworking people, someone that is eager to buy a home, um, you will find the means to do it. Because as we're saying right now, people are still qualifying. We are qualifying. There is no doubt about it. Lots of people are pre-approved. Uh, it's the issue of obviously, do they have the funds and can they find the property for that price? But yeah, bank of mom and dad is a new thing, uh, and it's it, it's likely to be there for a bit. Yeah. But is it? But but is it a new thing though? I mean, I don't have a single friend or family member. Uh, when we first got married, you know, I got married in two thousand, but even before that, of uh, my entire circle, family, friends from nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, all the way through to two thousand and five. I, I really don't know anybody who did not get some form of assistance from mom and dad back then. So is it really a new thing? Uh, you know, I, I, Dave, I'm going to say that. I don't think it is a new thing. Yeah. I just think yeah, that I know, you know, it's, it's more, there's more focus on it because maybe the, the market, the way it is and appreciation of values and everything else. But uh, you know, gentlemen, I got assistance, you know, when I, yep. from my parents, they helped, you know, my wife and my, my in-laws, God bless them. And my parents, they gave us some money to help us with a down payment. 
And yeah, I think and we're some, hitting the. And some people actually did not get money for a down payment, but got money for renovation costs, for painting, or for you know um, carpet or whatever they may need. Yeah, I think where it's where the bank of mom and dad things coming from is it, it seems like it's just such large amounts of money now, right? I mean, it's just it's just so hard. I mean, obviously, like Tim, you you guys were able to save up a bit and certainly get some assistance. It just seems like right now the assistance is massively outweighing the amount. For instance, as an example, a recent deal we had, you know, the, the, the client was able to save a very appropriate number of twenty dollars to $25,000. But in order to make the deal work, we had to get mom and dad involved to put in an extra $100,000. So before, certainly there was always the help there. You know, that was always a big thing. But I think what's the new part is that mom and dad's help is now actually become a massive portion of some of the down payments on these purchases. So I got to I got to interject here guys because you know I when getting married in the early 90s the first time um you know one of the things that ended up happening was people would give you money for your first house Dave do you not think though and 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 sorry I'm going to pick on pick on you know this this new generation a little is that when we were looking back in you know in the 90s and 2000s people would be buying something that needed work right? Like you would turn around, put your blood, sweat and tears. You even mentioned, you know, they'll give you money for renovations. You didn't come out, you know, with nine foot ceilings, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. Like, you know, my, I remember the first house that I ended up buying, um, you know, it was, you know, shag carpet, forest green, you know, toilets. Um, and you basically, you know, put your elbow grease in and you started making it your own. Are we not a little bit of a victim of, you know, a, a, I guess, a personal desire to have it all the first time? Oh, gosh, are we ever? I mean, and what's driving that? I mean, it's, you know, social media is a big thing, right? I mean, you you see a peer of yours buying this beautiful home and they're parading it all over their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever. Um, You know, it makes other people want that, you know, and, uh, you know, what was before a situation where it was customary, you know, you buy a starter home, you do the work to it, you build it into your own thing, whether it's something you stay in for 20 years or then you sell and you upgrade. What we're finding now and you're hitting it on the head is that everyone wants their dream home right away. There is no more levels. They want to just enter at the top with the best of the best. And I do think that certainly social media and just the way that information is spread across. And certainly, I think just generationally, um, this seems to be a thing where you're showing everything you got. Everyone's always wanting to post their cars, their houses, their everything. This is obviously a new thing. We didn't have that, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So, Tim, Dave makes a good point. You know, again, technology has advanced this. But at the same time, I mean, you must cringe a little because people keep talking about affordability, but there are older condominiums. They're larger, you know, but they don't have, you know, the full the full workout center downstairs. Maybe they don't have the rooftop bar, but there are some decent older condominiums out there that will sell for less, but you're going to have to maybe change the floor, you know, do some paint, change the kitchen. As, as a real estate broker, do you not find it a little frustrating when people keep saying it's unaffordable, but yet there are those properties that ideally, if you put some elbow grease in, could be amazing? Those properties are available. And the way that the industry has worked around it was simply to make an investment into home staging. Once you home stage the property, even if it's a little bit older, you know, you paint it, you change the countertop, you put the furniture inside it, you make it look you know, newer or more modern, like you, you provide that image of what a lifestyle there could be like. Um, that's something that's newer now that wasn't there 30, 40 years ago. So guys, um, one last thought, bunch of employers offering hybrid work. Um, and, 
you know, is this something that is going to, you know, be for the future forever or is it just short term? You know, a lot of people are looking at moving to the outer markets for affordability. Tim, you and I talk about it all the time. Dave, you see it, obviously. Is this something that we can expect, Tim, in the future that, you know, may switch and, you know, eventually employers are going to want people to come back full time five days a week? I think realtors have always been hybrid, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, listen, I mean, I'm an employer, you know, 250 agents, three locations. I have staff that are in office. I have felt some pressure from time to time, but, you know, we are an in-office environment. Uh, All of our employees are excited to be back. Um, they, They love the culture of being back in office. I've spoken to financial institutions um, that I deal with, you know, Dave, you can comment on this too, who uh, work downtown, right? And they're all excited to be back. I, I, There will always be a hybrid model moving forward. I just don't think that it's going to be to the extent that, you know, people first thought. Yeah, you know what, I have such an interesting, you know, kind of idea on this. Uh, you know, I've always kind of thought when I looked at it, and I tried to kind of put it into a market setting. Um, you know, you have people, you know, that were forced uh, and businesses that were forced to have everyone work from home. Um, and then certainly some of those businesses not ideal for their people to work from home. But I think some other businesses are finding it is ideal. And I think what's likely to happen is that you will have that return to work. You're going to have businesses that are going to want their people to come back. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, what I think is going to make more sense also is that in the years to come, they'll be able to now compare profits and revenues and lots of other things based on how their numbers looked when they were in COVID and they had people working from home and when they have people back at the office. I think even I just commenting personally for my team, um, you know, we're at about 50 employees now with our organization, all staff aside from very small amount of sales agents. And we made the decision in March of 2020 that we will not be returning. Um, we, my partner and I, Daniel Patton, um, in 2017, when we signed our five-year lease for our building, um, we had said this is likely the last lease we will sign for our company and for our business we saw way less people coming into the office a lot of people on our side just want to deal with us virtually or remotely um so we made the conscious decision that we weren't going to resign our lease our lease comes up at the end of 2022 we will not be re- we will not be signing um and we have actually had no one return to the office since march of 2020 and we are going to continue to operate that way it is for us more profitable and we have figured out a way by going more of an HR style um, with regards to finding out and keeping our, our employees engaged. So, but different businesses, um, you know, are going to certainly have different ways about this for us in particular with clients not coming in as much anymore. It was an easy decision for us. Wow. Well, listen, Dave, thanks for that. Cause that is, uh, that is encouraging for a lot of people that want to run businesses more remotely. Um, Tim, um, Serianos, Dave Butler, thanks once again for being the panelists here on the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And I look forward to chatting with you next month. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that was a great Real Estate Talk Triangle. I've got to tell you, I'm so pleased having Tim Serianos and Dave Butler joining me each month. And, uh, you know, a lot of great information coming from those gentlemen. So I do want to thank them once again. And don't forget our final release for three-bedroom townhomes, only 229900 is the final uh, group that we have to release. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com so you can register to purchase one. Guess what? 60 days from now, you'll be able to turn around and start collecting rent. Um, and there is 
no tenant interaction and rent every single month and absolutely no cost of repair. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Don't miss out. This is a very rare opportunity. But I do want to thank Ian Grant. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And more importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.